0: And, uh, you know, it, my, my, I, somebody, a, a retired pastor said to me years and years ago, sometimes God moves, and it's just hard to keep up with him. I hope we're all keeping up with him right now because he's at work, and uh, it's just such a wonderful thing to be a part of. Uh, one other quick note, if you're coming to IPC 101, please sign up at the desk, okay? Because if nobody signs up, I'm not coming. <laughs> but if you're coming, sign up, and we'll know you're, you're planning to attend. Uh, That's the welcome desk, which is on your right as you head out uh, uh, this morning. Um, I I was reading uh, a really cool story from the Old Testament uh, this week. Not what I want to preach about it, but it's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I'm sure many of you will know that story. But essentially what's going on is that um, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, two very evil characters in, in biblical history, are ruling the land. And Jezebel, it says, has killed all the prophets of, Baal, uh, of God, sorry, and she has supported and encouraged the prophets of Baal. And it's a dark time in the land uh, in terms of, of faithfulness to God. And uh, what happens, of course, is, is Elijah comes and he says, well, let's have this uh, showdown at the OK Corral. And, you know, you put a, an altar together and sacrifice the animal and call your God to send fire upon the altar and consume it. And I'll do the same. And and the prophets of Baal went first, and of course nothing happened because there is no God named Baal. It's just a creation of human thinking, or was. And then Elijah came along and he poured water on his uh, sacrifice three times, and he prayed for God to send fire from heaven, and it came down and it consumed everything. It was a mighty show and demonstration of the reality of God, and many people believed. Wonderful thing. But prior to this, immediately prior to this, Um, It tells a story about how King Ahab is on the hunt for Elijah, the powerful prophet of God. And he wants him dead, along with all the others. He's the last one. And uh, the story goes along, but eventually it's Elijah who decides to go to King Ahab. You know, these these biblical characters were people of incredible courage and determination. Uh, Remarkable people. So Elijah, you know, makes his way to the king, and the king is told he's coming. And King Ahab sees him approach, uh, and, and he says these words, the prophet of God, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? What do you think about those words? Here is this man who is a prophet of God. A prophet is one who speaks the word of God, speaks forth the word. That's what it literally means. And, And he has caused trouble for the people of God, according to King Ahab. And there's trouble in the land because this one, this one man is speaking God's word to them. And here's what struck me in relationship to this series that we're addressing uh, right now is that when the word of God comes, sometimes it troubles people. You know, it comforts us and it, it does so much for us, but sometimes it troubles us uh, because we don't like what it has to say. You know, last week we talked about a lot of the dynamic reality of, of what it means to be faithful people and, and, and to accept the authority of the Word of God in our lives. And we talked about a lot of the hot-button, ethical, moral dynamics of our day. I want to tell you sometimes that's what happens. You hear the Word of God and you go, oh boy, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm, I'm struggling with that. I'm going to fight it. Because I'll tell you, God's mind, which is in Scripture, is not our mind. God's mind is not the same as our culture's perspective. What we need to do, this is the conclusion we came to, we need to know Scripture deeply. And we, we need to come to a place of understanding that the mind and the heart of God is in the book, and as we understand that mind and that heart, we live under the authority of Scripture because as we hear the Word of God spoken through Scripture, whether it be in your home or here or wherever it might be, then we learn to obey God because God has spoken. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Wow, isn't that cool? It's not always fun, but it's kind of cool. What I want to do today is this. I want us to start by thinking a lot about what it is we believe and then why we believe it about this book. All right? I've kind of set the scene that the Scripture and the mind of God is not the same as the culture or even our own thoughts. But what is it that we believe about this book? And why should we take it so seriously? Because what I'm saying to you is serious stuff. If you and I, if we as a church, literally take Scripture as the authority, authoritative Word of God in our lives, it will transform our lives. Every single one of us, myself included. This is a progressive story. It's a matter of God continuing to speak into our minds, opening our eyes to see the reality of his thoughts and his desires, and us progressively becoming more holy as we transition our thinking, our attitudes, our actions, our lives to become what he wants it to be. The word of God is disruptive (laughs) in one way or another. But why do we believe that? Why would we buy into such a thing as accepting the authority of the Word of God, living under the authority of the Word of God, so much so that it uh, calls us and challenges to believe uh, and to live differently? Well, I want to begin with what it is that we believe about this book. I'm going to take you to a few passages today, but we're going to start in 2 Timothy uh, and read verses 14 and 15, and then in a minute we'll read 16. But uh, 1 Timothy 3.14 says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known, listen, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the holy scriptures that make us wise for salvation. Put it another way, it's only because of Scripture and understanding of Scripture, that we come to a place where we actually figure out what salvation is according to God and to God's mind. You see, we in a million years as human beings would never think up the gospel. You get that, don't you? Somebody someday, you know, kind of sat around for a little while. Maybe I don't think so, but maybe sat around and think, this is what I think. The reality is that the God of the universe, the almighty power, the the, the one who has created and who sustains all of life, that God is going to send his son into the world and he's going to come and suffer on a cross. He's gonna die a humiliating death for me. And through that death, I'm gonna find forgiveness of sin and I'm gonna be reconciled to God. Who? would ever come up with that on their own. You see, human beings think very differently than that. Human beings consistently, generation after generation after generation, basically think, the only way I can get into a a relationship with God and gain the favor of God is by living a good life. That's, That's wired into our brains. That has to be knocked out of us by what? The gospel that's communicated in Scripture so that we stop trusting in ourselves and our own righteousness and we start trusting in Christ and what he did on the cross. See the book speaks a reality that's not natural to us. And it's the thoughts, it is the thought of God that brings us an understanding of salvation. It makes us wise. Well, the the text goes on to say this in in verse 16. And this is a famous verse that many of you will have read before and know, but it says, all scripture is God-breathed. We'll just stop there for a minute and we'll leave the text up. All Scripture is God-breathed. I want us to stop for just a minute, and I want us to think about this reality, that all of Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. Um, Not part of it. Not the part that our culture finds acceptable. Not the parts of it that I might or you might find acceptable and agree with or even like. No, what this says is that all of Scripture is God-breathed. My friends, it's not for us to distinguish between what parts of it we like and what parts of it we might accept and what parts of it we might believe and we might submit our minds and our lives to. My friends, we have to submit our lives to all of it, every little bit. And it says that it's God-breathed. Literally, it means it's the outbreathing of God. All of Scripture is the outbreathing of God. And I think it's so cool when a person speaks, like when I'm speaking right now, or when you'll speak at some point uh, in the future, it is our outbreathing that forms the very words that we speak. As I speak to you, my breath is coming out of my lungs and it's forming words so that I might communicate with you. What the text is saying is that the scripture is the outbreathing of God. And the basic idea is that what we have in scripture are the very words of God spoken to us by Him. Inspired and true. And it goes on to say, and we spent a little while on this last week, but those God breathed words are useful for teaching the truth and for rebuking. Uh, you know, God's people, when we need to think differently, or, or we need to be rebuked in our attitudes or our actions. It's for correcting when, when our understanding needs to be corrected or behavior needs to be corrected. See, this is the Elijah dynamic. right This is the prophet of God who comes along and becomes the troubler of God's people. It's the word of God. And it does teach us things, and it does rebuke us, and it does correct us, and it does train us in righteousness. It trains us to know what is right and how to live righteously before God. The previous series we did was on, was on the, the passage uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy, fend and flame the gift of God that is within you. Same, same book, 2 Timothy. And, and you'll remember that what's going on there is that there were many false teachers in the church where Paul had established Timothy as pastor. And he's essentially saying to them, you know, you have to use this book to teach people who are off base and to rebuke those false teachers and to correct them in their erroneous teaching and to train them in righteousness because they were people leading people morally all astray. Marriage not necessary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what is it that, 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 that Paul is saying to his protege, Timothy, this young pastor that he has trained up? He's saying, teach them and preach them from this incredibly powerful inspired god-breathed book that they might know god's mind not their own he's saying don't give them your ideas no give them god's ideas god give them god's inspired word give them god's out-breathed voice correct them rebuke them challenge them and uphold the true message of scripture that you have come to know you know, sometimes I preach, right? I, I preach a lot, I shouldn't say sometimes I preach, but on occasion I preach, and, some, and, and I'll maybe deal with one of those controversial topics that's present in our culture, such as I did last week, a little bit. And, and someone will come to me on those days, and it's not uncommon, although I don't do that kind of preaching all the time, but occasionally I do. And, and it's not uncommon for somebody to come to me afterwards and say, man, you've got a lot of guts to say that, right? you got a lot of courage. And, you know, whenever that happens, it always surprises me because when I preach in that way, I never really think, oh, this is going to take a lot of courage or this is going to be hard to say or I've got to kind of muster up my, my guts to be like a guy like Elijah or otherwise. Because, very frankly, I'm simply speaking based on the authority of the Word of God, the Bible. It, you see, it's not my opinion that I strive to bring to you you know that you'll hear some preachers and they'll say i believe this and i believe that and i believe this and i i don't say that i don't know if you've ever noticed because i would be suggesting it's only my opinion i'm giving to you and i'm not giving you my opinion i'm striving to communicate to you the truth of scripture so that you will know the mind of god it's up to you to whether whether you choose to believe it or not And in the end of the day, as far as I I am concerned, this is my job to speak the word of God to you and let the chips fall where they may, (laughs) essentially. So is it particularly courageous? I don't think so. I just know that God has given this inspired word and it is reliable and it is true and the people of God and this whole world need to know it. So that's the what, if you would. We believe that the scripture all of it is inspired instead of god breathed the old translation's actually would say inspired it, it communicates that it's it's got the it's got the truth of god wired into its every letter now I want to tell you why we believe this I'm going to go to 2 Peter 1 chapter 16 to 19 this is such a, s- a significant passage but uh, let me just read it to you for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when you told t- when we told you about the coming of our lord jesus christ in power we weren't cleverly devised by somebody. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We also have the prophetic message, again, speaking of the, the, the word of God, the prophetic message is something completely reliable. Do you believe that? And you will do well to pay attention to it. Hear that. As to a shining light in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand, hear this, that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. That's a remarkable statement. That's what the apostle Peter believed. You know, he, he, he had this, 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 this sense within him that God has spoken in Scripture, as I have described to you, that it was completely reliable. And then these, these uh, verses 20 and 21... Not by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Can we go forward, please? Uh, 20 and 21. we have got to get 21 in there. I bet you I wrote down 20 instead of 21. And they're going, yeah, you did, you dummy. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I do that sometimes. But here it comes. Okay, we'll have our little race again. Who's going to win? Ah, there we go. Listen to this. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. Never. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There is the theology of inspiration. What we have in Scripture doesn't come from a human source. It comes from God. And people wrote this book, all of the men, I'm afraid, but that's the way it was in those days. And all of all of these men came along, and they were carried along by the Spirit of God. That word "carried along" um, uh, is exactly what's used in Acts chapter 27, verses 15 and 17. We'll just read for verse 15 today. Um, it's, it's, it's a description of, of a huge storm that's come along, and and Paul is in that boat, and and uh, uh, it's a bit of bit of a horrifying thing. Did I forget that one too? Oh my goodness. Okay, we'll wait for just a second. But anyway, in the reality, what's going on is that that, that uh, Paul is describing a circumstance to us through Scripture. And, and the boat which he is in, the ship which he is in, is carried along by the power of a storm. Incredibly powerful waves. They can no longer navigate anymore. As a result, people brought the sick into this... Oh, that sucks. That <laughs> That's not it at all. But anyway, (laughs) just forget that verse. Just forget the verse, okay? But what what Paul is saying is the ship was carried along by the power of a storm. And in this text that that, that we have here in, in 2 Peter, it says these people were carried along by the Spirit of God. The power, the presence, the influence of the Spirit of God was so real in their lives that that, what they wrote was not their thinking. It wasn't their notion. It wasn't their idea. The source of what they wrote was in God, and God was present by his Spirit to use their minds and to use their experience and their context and, yes, even their personality in order to reveal God's truth to them so that when they wrote down those words, these became the words of God to us. It's called theologically this superintendency of God to overcome the fallibility of human beings to produce an infallible text. To produce a scripture that is inspired of God and true. And I want to tell you, this idea is weaved into all of the Bible, it's just from beginning to end. And I want to take you to the most important example of that, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, who regularly, who often goes to Scripture when he's making his arguments, when he's responding his, to people as, can I put it this way, as his authority in faith. It's almost as, as, as he quotes Scripture in order to, to prove that his statements and his beliefs are true. What do you think about that, the Son of God using Scripture to prove that what he's saying is true? doesn't need to, because he's God. <laughs> but he does it with intentionality. There was a day, you know, when when, um, his opponents came to him and they were challenging him about, you know, the the belief of, uh, of divorce in his day. And there were various schools with different perspectives. And this is how Jesus responds to that challenge. They're trying to trick him into saying something mistaken. But Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. Oh, good, that one's there. But Jesus says to these people who have asked him about divorce, Haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female quoting Genesis chapter 2 and said Quoting Genesis chapter 2 for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together. Let no one separate And it's almost like Jesus saying Like he doesn't even tell him his opinion He just quotes, quotes scripture it's like he's saying, like, what's the matter with you people? Read Genesis 2. There it is. That's the word of God. That's all you need to know. Just read the book. It's his authority. You know, th- three, you know when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he was tempted three times, and he, he responds uh, using Scripture. He responds to the devil's temptation for him to sin and thus Of course, um, demolish his potential ministry that's ahead of him. But three times, Jesus quotes, first of all, Deuteronomy 8.3, then Deuteronomy 6.16, then Deuteronomy 6.13, phrases like, man does not live by bread alone, and um, do not put the Lord your God to the test, and so forth. He quotes the word of God in order to refute the temptation of the enemy. And you know the incredible thing about this? The devil chooses not to argue with the word of God. He leaves it alone, you know why? Because he knows it's the word of God. Powerful. This little verse, Matthew 5 verse 18. Uh, In the NIV it says this, for I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking again, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, the word, until everything is accomplished. Now in the older translations, the more literal one, it actually says, Not a a jot or a tittle will disappear from the word. Now, what's a jot or a tittle? Literally, jot in Hebrew is iota. You know, not little one iota. A a jot in the Hebrew uh, text is a very uh, little um, squiggle that sounds like a a lot like the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's like this this little wee bit of how we write the scripture. That's not going to disappear. And then what's a tittle? Jot and a tittle. Um, Well, that actually is like a a stroke or or a curvy thing that is added to the language, very similar, that has a profound impact on the meaning of a word. The best illustration in English would be if you took a capital P and a capital R. They're very, very similar except for a diagonal stroke that comes off the R. You got what I'm talking about? (laughs) Either I am incomprehensible or... uh Anyway, that that would be the same as a a tittle. And all these little strokes and curvy things are part of the Hebrew language that dramatically impact the the meaning of the words. And Jesus says, not even those little wee bits of the Hebrew script are going to disappear. Nothing will disappear from the word of God until all has been accomplished. You see, what Jesus is doing here very essentially is saying, this is a precious book. It is written. It is inspired by God and we cannot play with it. Look at verse 19, same chapter. The following verse. I did it again? I think I need a holiday, people. Yeah. It's coming. Matthew 5. I should be able to win this one. Matthew 5, 19. It says, Does anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments, there we go, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Set aside even the littlest piece of the word of God, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus is saying, don't touch the book. Because this book is of God. It is inspired. It is, it is His word. It is the out-breath of God which therefore becomes His voice in our lives. Jesus is serious about this. Can't set it aside. Can't do it. What about the apostles? The leaders who, uh, who, who followed after Jesus? Exactly the same attitude. Famous verse, 1 Peter 1.16, He says, Be holy as I am holy. And it's a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 11. You know? Why does Paul quote the Old Testament, which of course was his scripture for the very same reason Jesus did, because it was his authority, because it was the word of God. And Peter was preaching that incredible sermon after Pentecost or at Pentecost when 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. He quotes the Psalms twice, and he quotes Joel once. Why? because it's authoritative, it is the word. And he's saying to these people, you can't argue with the word of God, you can't argue with what I'm saying to you because this is what God has spoken. Great verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, the teaching of the apostles, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually was the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. You see that the teaching there again is, you know, the apostles' teaching was scripture. Not learned by human beings the powerful word of God and the whole point here is that Christ and his apostles and Jews for centuries and centuries prior to their their speaking and writing these things rested their faith on the absolute reliability of scripture to communicate God's word to us the scripture was the source of their whole belief system and here's the question of the day do you do the same Do you allow the Word of God to be the the, the source of your belief system? Do you believe and have your faith rested upon the absolute reliability of Scripture as the communication of God's mind and heart to us? See, the reality is that in this day and generation, there are many people who are now not doing that, even in the church. It's a dramatic shift. And that happens usually when biblical truth conflicts with cultural beliefs and practices. You get that. When the culture rises up and says something to be true and right and good, and it contradicts what the Bible says to be true and right and good, Christians start to struggle. This goes beyond, you know, the moral issues that I addressed last week uh, to, if you would, biblical slash theological dynamics. Do not answer this question I'm about to ask you. Okay. Don't put up a hand, don't say yes or no, but I want you to think. Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in hell? Because you see, in our culture, that's one of those things that a lot of people struggle to believe. It doesn't fit our cultural perspectives. And, and, and that belief tends to get expressed in this phrase, I've heard it many times, a God of love would never send anyone to hell. Who's heard that phrase? You can put your hand up on that one. A lot of you, right? God of love would never send anyone to hell. Here's my question to you. Who says so? The culture says it, and and even some people in the church say it, but I want to tell you it was Jesus who spoke about hell, I think, more than anyone, as a reality, a place of eternal suffering, separate from God in eternity. Now, you can look at that, and, and, and it, it can be hard to believe. It can even break your heart, and that's not a bad thing if it does. But if we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, we have got to believe not only in what Jesus believed in, but also in what the Spirit of God inspired to become part of the Word of God. How about this one? Jesus is the only way to God. What does the culture tell us? Well, you know, the reality is that uh, all religions are a means to God. You just have to be sincere and faithful in, in the belief system in which you find yourself. And God will understand and, you know, you'll, you'll get to heaven if you would. As a matter of fact, what the, what the culture says is that all belief systems, all religions are basically the same thing. Now, the only people who believe that are the pe- 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 people who are not part of a religious belief system. Because the people in the religious belief system look at other religions and say, this isn't the same thing at all. That's not the God I believe in. Like, it's dramatically different, particularly in some instances. But again, the value of equality says that they're all the same and they're all of equal value. But Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Is that the inspired word of God? Is that the truth, the infallible? Inspired word of God I would suggest to you it is Whether I like it or not whether you like it or not. That's what scripture says. That's what the God breathed text which is infallible and inspired and true says And in the end of the day what what is required is that we if you would allow our thinking to be aligned with the word of God and with the truth of Scripture as communicated in the Bible, rather than trying to somehow align the Scripture or how we understand the Scripture or, or, or what parts of Scripture we're willing to give validity to so that it might somehow be- agree with me. My friends, I want to tell you, the culture is a powerful, powerful force. And in every generation and in in every time in history, the culture in its own ways seeks to infiltrate the church. And part of the reason I'm preaching this series is because I believe the culture is powerfully influencing the church and its beliefs. And we have got to completely deny that reality and we have got to come to scripture and form our faith based on what God has revealed in his word and believe the things that the inspired truth of the word of God says as opposed to what the culture says and as opposed to what we might think as we talked about last week So, in the end of the day, you know, the question might be, what, what then do we do? And that's how I want to, you know, move toward conclusion here this morning. What do we do with this? If you're willing to embrace the inspiration of Scripture and its infallibility, if you're willing to actually say, I believe that what God has inspired is true and I'm going to believe it, the first thing that we have to do, very literally, is choose not to set it aside. I'm going to look for a verse that I believe I have skipped over that is fairly important. I've probably skipped over a lot of verses today, I'm telling you. Jesus said that we we cannot set it aside. That's the quote. We can't leave it alone. We can't set aside parts of it that we don't like. We can't set aside parts of it that we might not understand or which the culture says don't make sense. We just can't set any part of it aside. But you know what, we also can't take the book and actually set it aside. You know, I'm just gonna put it over here on my shelf. I'm not gonna set aside my television. I'm not gonna set aside my computer screen. I'm not gonna set aside my telephone and all that I can do on my telephone. But I'm gonna set scripture aside And I'm going to let other things become central in my mind and and, and in the formation of what I actually believe. Just leave that over there. Jesus says, you know what, we can't do it. We just can't do that. Because this is the word of God to us. Number two, and I want to challenge you with this. We have got as Christians to come to know it again. I talked to you uh, at the beginning of this year as we began the year of the Bible about what is now called biblical illiteracy in the church. Generations ago people knew this book deeply. They understood its truth, they studied it. And the reality apparent, apparently according to uh, a lot of research which has been done, and you can decide whether this is true in your life or not, that most Christians in North America have a very superficial understanding of what the Bible says. My friends, what we have to do is to come to this book and we have to dig in. We have to give it our attention and our mind and our hearts. We have got to study it on our own. We've got to study it in our life groups. We've got to you know, take in the incredible resources that we've been blessed with in this, this culture, podcasts and sermons and books galore, which help us understand what the, the book says, if need be. And more than anything else, we've just got to open the book and start reading it and let the Spirit of God transform our minds by its truth. So one of the things I just want to do today is just ask you, how well do you know the book? You you deal with that one on your own, right? But either you've studied it thoroughly and deeply and consistently and you know it well, you know it deeply, or you're somewhere between that and a superficial understanding of what the book says. I I read somewhere that most Christians have a Sunday school understanding of Scripture. You know, they know the stories of Jesus and let the little children come to me and the healing of the blind man. and the, That's it. That's where it stops. Let, let me put it to you this way. How do you respond in your heart of hearts when I come along as I do this morning and say, that book, whether it's on your computer or, or in your tablet or on your phone, or whether it's in the book that you actually hold in your hands, uh, this is the word of God and you can know it. Well, what happens in your heart when I say that? I get the feeling that a lot of people go, oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be hot today. Did you know that? 44 uh, Humidex. Are the Jays playing today? It's almost like, you know, we hear this message, and it's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. That's, that's nice. I've heard it all my life, maybe. My friends, we, let me put it to you differently, God is willing to speak to you through this book. He is willing to reveal to you his mind and his heart and transform your thinking and transform your attitudes and transform your life to become something remarkable. That's why Jesus says, well, just don't set it aside. (laughs) Leave it over there. This is an incredible thing that the God of the universe, the God who is the creator and the sustainer of life, the God of all wisdom and knowledge is willing to speak to you every single day through his book. We've got to get into that book, and we've got to learn to understand it at a deep level and apply it to our lives. Number three, and I've said this already, we have to align our minds with the truth of Scripture, not the contrary. We have got to allow the truth of Scripture to change how I think, and that's how I feel, and that's how I live. You know, I, I, I thought about my own life um, this week. I'm turning 59 in a little while craziness it's like insanity i'm not 59 i'm like 30 in my head at the most but i, I want to tell you over the course of my life i have pursued an understanding of that book and over over year or after year after year after year i have seen the constructs that the world has placed in my mind, even though I was brought up in a Christian home, and, and, uh, but I've seen them fall away as that lie has been re- replaced with the truth of God. Can I be personal here? There are probably many worldly constructs that exist in your thinking that need to fall away, and it's only going to be ha- going to happen when they, are con- when they are confronted by the truth of the word of God. And as we read scripture and as we study scripture, we align our thoughts with that of God through reading the book and believing them to be the word of God and embracing them. Number four, I think we have to honor the word of God. This gets back to this idea of of our relationship with scripture, your relationship with scripture. What is it? Do you honor it? You see, it's possible to dismiss it and disregard it and even disdain it, disbelieve it, or it's possible to give it a place in your life of incredible honor. i want to read a verse that I discovered I think God gave to me. I didn't know this verse existed until about a month ago and I was reading something else. I was like, oh, I've got to take note of that, baby. Listen to Isaiah 66, verse 2. Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? He is the creator. And then this, these are the ones I look on with favor, these people, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. I don't know about you, but that just blows me away. We are to tremble at the word of God because it is his voice to us. We are to be humble in its presence. We are to have a contrite, not a proud spirit, a contrite spirit And we are to open this book and give it incredible honor and dignity, recognizing what indeed it is. It is the voice of God to you. It is God's truth, inspired, infallible, God-breathed word. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is this. We have to live it. We have to live it. Um, I'm going to read to you a, a, a Deuteronomy 30. I was going to read a shorter version of this, but I'm going to read it to you 15 to 20. And it's, it's, it's Moses instructing the people of Israel as they're about to uh, move forward uh, and, and go into the promised land. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Just stop there for a minute. This is God speaking. Who'd like life and prosperity and who'd like death and destruction? Let me see the death and destruction people, please. Just raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Nobody wants that, right? I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Let's carry on. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. Do you intend that for your life? Is that a passion of your life? And to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Again, who wants that? You know, you got to know the word before you can embrace it, right? Let's carry on. But in a contrary fashion, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess, and I love this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. Do you believe that to be the word of God? It's a yes or it's a no. to listen to his voice and to hold fast to him. After referencing the laws and the commandments and our obedience which is required to those laws and commands in order that we might live an incredible blessing before God. I want to tell you my friends, every single person in this, this room today has the option of choosing life or death, blessing or curse. And the way you choose life is to hear the voice of God in the book and live in obedience to it. It's like I'd like to take everybody by the shoulders and shake them and say, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you want prosperity? Do you want blessing? Read the book, know the book, live in obedience to God by living under the authority of the word of God and God will bless your life. And you know, the reality is there are people that hear that and choose not to do it. And they encounter destruction and death and curse. So here's how I want to end this this sermon today. God, and the text has said it twice that we've just read, God loves you deeply and intimately and profoundly. And he wanted you to know his thoughts so that you might be blessed. What a God, right? So the book says, that's why we believe him to be such a God. And he, he, at some point in time, said, how am I going to communicate with these people that I love? How am I going to tell them what they need to do in order to find blessing and prosperity and life? And for whatever reason, God said, I'm, I'm going to inspire a book. And I'm going to communicate my voice to them, my word to them, my mind to them, my heart to them through this book. I'm going to inspire it through these authors. I'm going to carry them along like a wind carried along a boat, and a, a ship in a storm. But it's going to be, these authors are going to be carried along by the power of my spirit, and they're going to write the infallible and inspired and true word that I have for my people. And I'm going to give it to them. And I'm going to say to them, Dig in, (laughs) discover who I am and what I think, and how I, out of my love for you, know how you function best so that you might truly live. This is a means of loving you. And I just want to say to you, excuse me, do not set the book aside, either in part or in whole. Know it deeply. Align your thoughts with Scripture. Honor the book. Tremble in its presence because it is the voice of God in your life. And have the wisdom to simply live in obedience to the word that God has spoken because it will bring you life. Everything from salvation as we enter into relationship with God to the abundant life that Jesus promised to his people. But if you don't know the book, you're never going to get there. 2018, the year of the Bible. You know why it's the year of the Bible? Because we say in our vision, <clears throat> sentence number one, that we want to see a church which is thriving because people are, have become spiritually mature followers of Jesus. How do they become spiritually mature followers of Jesus? By the power of the word of God and the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when those two influences impact a person's life? They come to a place where they are living passionately to bring the kingdom of God into every area of life, and that includes their own And what an incredible thing it is that we have the word of God. What an incredible blessing God has given to us. I say to you, my friends, I guess if you need to grapple with inspiration, grapple with it. I'll give you books to read and talk with you more if you wish. We either accept that it's God's word and inspired and true or we don't, but I would encourage you to come to that place and then as you do, then dig in and let life flow from God into your mind and into your heart and into your, your, your whole being, your experience as you live in obedience to what God has spoken. Let's pray. God, I know because, and I base this statement on the authority of the word of God, you love every person here. <clears throat> whether they know it or not and whether they Accept the reality that you know them intimately. Um, God, you love every person in this room. As a a result, you sent Christ to die on a cross that they might be forgiven of their sin, that by faith they might receive Him and enter into a relationship with you, that they might know your mind and heart as distinguished from that of the world, the culture, that they might live a blessed life, both now and through eternity. And I pray for every single person here, God, that, that if they need to grapple with what has been spoken today, that they will grapple with it. But I pray that you will lead them to a place where they accept your word as your breathed out voice, inspired, infallible, and true. And God, I pray that every single one of them will start to grow deep in their knowledge of what you have written so that they might come to know you and might come to know your thinking and they might come to a place of living under the authority of the word of God and obedience to what you have spoken because there, God, there they will find life and life eternal. God, make us a church which trembles before your word. Make us a church, God, which knows your word deeply. Make us a church, God, which has been transformed in every one of its parts so much so that we think your thoughts after you find life in them. Come Holy Spirit, drive us to this book and reveal the reality of God to your people again.